Okay. He thought Easter was over, but it's not. <laughs> I told you that you guys get the goodies, the extra stuff, and uh, so we got some of those extra things for you today. There's only two services on Easter, but you could preach a whole lot of them. So I picked one out that I think is pretty interesting and uh, is good to explain and think about. And it kind of bends your mind a little bit, this one, asks you to use your imagination. We like to do that. That's a good thing. Helps us to think. And uh, so we're going to do uh, a study tonight on Mary Magdalene. Uh, and the reason we're doing it is because she was number one when it came to resurrection appearances. She's the first one that Jesus uh, appeared to after he came out of the tomb. And there's a reason for that, and we want to get to the bottom of that, see if we can think about that tonight. She's called Magdalene uh, because she's from Magdala, a place called Magdala. Magdala was sort of one of those places where they kind of forgot all the Jewish rules and regulations and they just lived whatever they felt like living. And she came from that kind of background. Uh, the Gadareans, you remember, close on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the people that were raising pigs, right? And Jesus came over and all the pigs jumped in the Sea of Galilee. Well, of course, they're the same type of people who had long since abandoned the ideas of God and the ideas that the Jewish people had and uh, went off on their own. So it was true of the people of Magdala. And so Mary comes from this place where there's not a lot of background on her. And we're going to look at uh, a title that we have for her. Think about it. And how does this bring us to this first appearance on Resurrection Sunday, the very first one. So we're going to start in Luke chapter number 8. Luke's Gospel in chapter number 8. <clears throat> and I want you to always remember when you're reading the Bible that the, when it was written there were no verses and no chapters. It's just one whole narrative. And so a lot of times in our mind we divide it off and say, well, it's a new idea, and not necessarily. So uh, we are starting at Luke 8, and that, that helps you know where to turn to. <laughs> it was a good idea to put verses in the Bible, otherwise we'd have been looking for months. Okay, and it was a good idea that they had to divide it into chapters and verses. But like I said, sometimes, and then in our mind, we come to the end of the chapter, so that's the end of the thought, and that's not necessarily the case. But we're starting at 8, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 1. It came to pass afterwards that he, that's Jesus, went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. And so uh, we have Mary Magdalene, and she is known over and over in the Bible as the lady with seven devils. How do you like to have that for your hand? 
we think of Thomas, and we put the name with him, Doubting Thomas, right, because of what he did. Think of Judas, we say Judas the betrayer. Peter, Peter the denier. Mary Magdalene, the lady with seven demons, and seven that Jesus uh, cast out of her. And so uh, that's what she's known. That's the name and title that she's used to keep track of who she is. And it's very difficult because there's a whole lot of Marys all in the Bible together. And we try to sort them out, and it's hard to. There's, of course, the mother of Jesus, and there's another Mary, and then there's this Mary, and who knows. And uh, so, <clears throat> but Mary Magdalene is the one we're trying to focus on tonight, trying to get some answers for. And it says that Jesus cast seven devils out of her. She had seven devils and cast them out. It just simply says that. It doesn't tell that story. There's nowhere where you can turn where you can say, okay, here comes Jesus. He's casting these out of Mary Magdalene. It's, that story isn't told. It's just said, here's what happened. Jesus cast seven demons out of this lady. And so um, we're trying to think, what was she like? What was she like with seven demons in her? Um, how do people get that way? And what's the condition of a person who's got seven demons in them? And uh, we are particularly fortunate that Jesus uh, made some comments on this very thing. And so we're going to go to Jesus' comments as he explains how seven demons come to be in somebody. And then uh, we're able to apply that back to Mary Magdalene and maybe from that discover something about her condition by the things that Jesus describes. And so we go over to Matthew chapter 12, which appears to be a totally irrelevant topic here that we're looking at. But of course it isn't. Jesus has a way of filling in all the blanks and tying everything up. So we're in Matthew chapter 12, and we want to we know, try if we can discover uh, what was it like to have seven devils? What was her condition? And uh, why did things turn out the way they did? Matthew chapter 12, and I'm looking at verse number 38. Certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. And so these scribes and Pharisees, these are religious rulers of the day, and they come along and they say, Jesus, you know, uh, you expect us to believe you. We've got to have a sign. We need a sign. You got to do something to prove it. And later on, they would ask him, show us something in the heavens, you know, make the sun move, turn the moon around, do something. Send the star down, give us a sign. Give us a sign. Of course, they'd seen him heal people born blind, they'd seen him uh, uh, heal leprosy, and he fed 5,000. 
and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And so Jesus naturally is thinking, how many signs is it you need? How much do I need to do before you believe who I am? And it is the basis of that question that he's going to answer them here as he begins. Verse 39. And he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Or you got enough to believe, believe with what you have. All right, he said, but you won't believe no matter what happens, so you got to have some other thing. There shall be no sign given to it. I'm not going to give you a star in the heavens or whatever else you think ought to be the sign, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. So he said, there's a sign for you. The prophet Jonah is already a sign about me. Let's see what it is. Verse 40, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So naturally, he's talking about his own resurrection. I'm telling them, I'm going to resurrect. And the only people who really believed him were these people. You see why? Because remember, they went to Pilate and said what? He said he was going to rise from the dead. The disciples are all hiding. They, that's the last thought in their mind, that he's going to rise from the dead. But these people, he told them that day, uh, Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. I will be in the earth three days and three nights. And so uh, they remembered what he said. But here's the point of it, 41. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. So there was a moment of opportunity. And that moment of opportunity for the people of Nineveh, and by the way, of course, you know, Nineveh weren't Jews at all, they were Assyrians. That was the capital of Assyria. And they were a coming uh, power, and they had been a great power, Nineveh. And, uh, and so uh, Jonah, you remember the story. God says, go preach to Nineveh. I'm not going to those heathens. I'm getting on a boat and leaving town. He headed out in the ocean. They threw him overboard because of the storm. He got swallowed by a whale, and he was in there three days, spit out on the shore, and now God says, now, you ready? Now? Ready to go now? You're ready now, so go. And so he goes, and he walks through Nineveh for three days, preaching. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed, and I'm here to warn you, and that's all. And he goes and sits out the city after three days, wait for it to happen. Except they all repented. The whole city of Nineveh had an opportunity and he said, God gave him an opportunity. Now, part of uh, Jonah's rebellion was what made it work so well. Of course, he was covered. He was digested for three days. Okay, let's say that. And so his skin is all bleached white. 
from being inside a whale. He's white as snow, and his hair is all bleached out, white as snow. So here's this guy covered with burns, and his hair is white as snow. I mean, what a sight to see. And he's walking through town saying, repent, repent. And they said, you better do it. And they did. And so Jesus says, here's these people of Nineveh who weren't even Jewish. And they get preached to by this odd fella. And they took their one opportunity and repented. They saw it as their opportunity to repent. Now, the Jews just said, what? Give us a sign. You need another opportunity? You had how many? How many things did Jesus do? And so he's comparing the two of these things. And so there's a moment of opportunity. And the people of Nineveh said, we're going to rise up and say, you foolish Jews, how many opportunities did you need? All right, let's go on, verse 42. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment on this generation, shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And so... In other places, she's called the Queen of Sheba, down in Africa, right near the middle on the opposite side of Egypt, there's a place called Sheba. And uh, she's the Queen of Sheba. She's very wealthy. Uh, and she hears that Solomon is the wisest man on earth. And so she takes a trip. Not like now, where you get on the plane and go, right? If you're going to come from the middle of Africa up to Jerusalem, you got yourself a good long trip. And so she travels all the way to Jerusalem, and she says, I came here in search of wisdom. All right, and so there's a day of opportunity, and you add to it, there's a search for wisdom. And that, of course, is also an opportunity. So she heard... Even though it's a long trip, she came a long way, she heard it is possible you can find this ultimate wisdom if you'll go get it. And so she goes and gets it. So he's saying to the Jews, there's an opportunity for you to repent and to know God. And then he said, if you had the desire to search for wisdom, you could find it. I am it. You can find it. But you're sitting back and asking for a sign. And so he says, now I'm going to explain how you think. All right, here we go. Verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Now, uh, you have a person there. best I can do, okay? And uh, he lives in a house, okay? And the unclean spirit is out. Unclean spirit is out. So something good has happened. Had an unclean spirit, got rid of it. Certainly an opportunity, okay? An opportunity to make a change in life. Let's see what happens. He says, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. That's the unclean spirit. Or the unclean spirit leaves the person cast out or for whatever reason, he leaves the person that he has been uh, 
living inside of, and he goes looking for another home, another person to get inside of. And he can't find anybody. So verse 44, then he saith, I will return to my house from whence I came out. And when he's come, he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. So the unclean spirit comes back to the person that he once possessed. Says he comes back to that person and he says, I'm wondering about moving back in there into that person. He says, yeah, everything's all set. It's an empty house. It's an empty house. And that's the point of it. And it's going to become an empty house. All right? So let's see what he does. Verse 48. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than themselves, and they enter in and dwell there. And so the spirit come out of a man, wandered looking for someone else to possess, comes back and says, you know, I'm going back in here, but I got some friends. We're taking them in. And so he takes seven more worse than himself. They enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Well, he's saying to the Jews, he said, man, you're just like that demon-possessed person. You had an opportunity. The devil could go out, and you could have this opportunity, but you didn't do anything to fill the house up. You left it empty. And so seven more came in, and you're way worse off than you ever were before. And, of course, when the Jews rejected Jesus... We don't want Jesus to be Messiah. Kill him, crucify him, get rid of him. All right, that was their opportunity in time. And he said, you've got an opportunity, right? It's about an opportunity of search for wisdom. You wouldn't accept that search for wisdom. You wouldn't go, so you left the house empty. You don't have anything in there. And so what comes in is going to be seven times worse. And of course, 40 years later, uh, they were laying dead in the streets of Jerusalem, all of them. Their children, the, the famous part of it was that the streets of Jerusalem were full of dead children. Right? And I've told you before, when the Jews came back, or when the Romans came back, they crucified people until there wasn't any wood left. They used all the lumber anywhere nearby every tree, made crosses, crucified people till they ran out of wood. I mean, they tore down the temple and were so angry that they actually tore up the foundations. I mean, digging down in the ground, make sure they can never lay another building on top of there. So the destruction, they're way worse off, of course, and that's what Jesus is trying to see. But he uses this idea of an unclean spirit going out of a person. Now we're going to talk about Mary Magdalene, who's said to have seven demons. How do you get seven demons? Well, one of the things that Jesus says here is that uh, you had an opportunity. And the demon went out. It was your opportunity. To do what? to fill the empty void in your life. The demon came in 
And you gotta understand about demons, they don't just come into people at random and say, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, I'm taking you. That's not how they operate. They need your agreement. They need your character. In order to do evil, you have to agree with it. All right. And so you say, well, what about Judas Iscariot? Well, that's exactly what happened. He had this thing, greed. Satan can come in, use what you already have here, and he's got you betraying Jesus. All right. And so, same thing we talked about Peter last week here. Talked about Peter who was overconfident. And Satan could crush him and use that, that flaw in his character. And so there's something in a person that agrees. And if Mary Magdalene had a demon and then they went up to seven of them, according to what Jesus says here, there's a possibility that she had an opportunity along the way to be free from that demon. But she didn't use it. And so we can start with a list of what was she like, and I'm going to say she felt uh, empty. She felt empty. And she was willing to find an answer to her feelings wherever she could find it, open to it, because she comes from another part of the country uh, where demons are probably common. And so she, somewhere along the line, has agreed, felt empty, and she searched, okay, I would say that she searched, but I would say she searched in the wrong place. And there are people, it's a very common thing today, that I don't feel right inside, I feel empty inside, uh, I'm not fulfilled inside, how do I live this life the way I do? And well, you can search for something. And believe me, there's crazy stuff out there that people search for. This is gonna fill my void. It's not gonna fill a void. Uh, the void in the human heart is God-shaped. What was that uh, great French mathematician was a Christian. He said every human has a God-shaped vacuum in their heart, and only God can fill it. There's something missing in the human heart. Solomon said God has put eternity in the hearts of men, or that there's something in us that longs for something that will last, longs for something eternal. And we go fill it with everything we can find other than something eternal. We look for things in time, things that the world says this is meaningful and, and it doesn't fill the void. And so I think uh, Mary felt empty and went searching, went to the wrong place and never filled the empty house until those seven demons came into her. And now they're a powerful force in her, pushing her to do wrong. Saying, well, here you'll find something. Here you try this, try that, do this, do that. And there's something in her character that responds to that demonic possession. Jesus comes along, we don't know the story, 
But he said, you guys are out, is the way he talked to them. Out, get out, leave now, and suddenly she's free from those voices, from the urges, and he's there, so she will fill the void with him. All right, now, what was it that she did? And this is uh, where we're going to have an interesting discussion. I'll go back to Luke 7. We read the beginning of Luke 8. Now we're going to go back to Luke 7. Because it's an interesting situation in this passage. It has to do with uh, interpreting Scripture. And... We're going to read this story here, and we're going to hear about a woman. So we're going to say, well, is that Mary Magdalene? Good question. The name isn't given. There's no name given. So you got Bible scholars that I respect, and some of the ones that I really respect say, look, there's no name here, so we can't prove who it is, we can never say really who it is. And I got others that I even like more. <laughs> and they say, well, that's Mary Magdalene. That's Mary Magdalene. And so I'm arguing in my own mind, well, is it or isn't it? Is it or isn't it? Is that Mary Magdalene there that we're about to read about? And I think when you read it and then you go right into chapter 8 without stopping, you come second verse to Mary Magdalene. All right. And I think there's a little hint there, but there's a much stronger hint that puts me in the camp that says this is Mary Magdalene. So if I'm wrong when I get to heaven, I will apologize to her and everybody up there. And I'll say I'm sorry I was wrong. All right. But I want to show you this because I think these kind of things are here in the Bible looking for us to search a little bit, and uh, right? Just to search for wisdom and come up with an answer. And there's something in this that's very, very uh, pointed. And it convinces me that this is Mary Magdalene, all right? So, could be wrong, but listen to where we go with it and we'll decide later. Okay, so we're in Luke 7. The story is beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees desired him, that is Jesus, that Jesus would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Right, so this was kind of a common thing. Uh, it was proper to invite people who came from other towns into your house. And if you were a wealthy person, especially, it's kind of expected of you. Uh, somebody's traveling through town, you come to house for dinner. So that's not particularly unusual that Jesus be invited to the house of a Pharisee. Uh, and uh, of course, the Pharisee's got his nose up in the air. All right? And he's inviting Jesus not because he says, boy, I want that guy in my house so I can talk to him. He's inviting Jesus just to make sure I'm the big shot. I'll do the inviting. All right. 
That's a little bit more what's going on. We'll see that. But verse 37, Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, began to wash his feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. And they say, well, how did this lady get in the Pharisee's house? That, too, was the culture. So if you invite a famous person comes by, or almost anybody comes through your town, you invite them to your house, and that's expected a cultural thing to do. And when you do that, your doors are then open to anybody who comes. So it's not just you know, me and him. Uh, when, when they did that kind of thing, it was an open door policy. And so this woman comes in, and it says exactly that she was a sinner. Says it right out. So that could be everybody in the world. <laughs> okay, we're all in that boat. We all go in that house and we all be sinners. But this one stands out. Uh, she comes in. Now, I'm going to try to point out something just in case you're confused already. Uh, later on, this is earlier in Jesus' ministry. Later on, on Tuesday night of Holy Week, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they're having a dinner, and that Mary anoints Jesus on Tuesday night. But this person is a different event. Of course, if we say one's Mary and the other one's Mary, then who the world, what's going on? Well... Uh, the other accounts about Mary, Lazarus' sister, are different accounts, and you read them, you'll see the details are different. Here's one earlier on in the ministry. He's at a Pharisee's house. This lady comes in. She's got ointment, and she begins weeping. Come up behind him. Says he come up behind. The reason he come behind him is because they are laying on couches. And so you would lay at a couch, tables right there level with you, and you would be sitting like this and eating off this table, and you're laid out like that. And so it would be a servant's job to come up behind you and wash your feet. We saw Jesus do that at the Last Supper because there were no servants. Well, he was there. <laughs> and so... Uh, she, this will be kind of a normal thing. Somebody needs to wash the feet. But she comes up to Jesus, has this ointment, puts it on him, and then she begins to cry. She's washing his feet with her tears, wiping him with her hair, and kissing his feet and anointing them with ointment. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. All right. Now, we're talking about prostitute, all right? She's a prostitute. She's coming in, and she's a sinner. And he would say... Uh, is it, that woman is a sinner. How does he know? Well, uh, because she's a prostitute, she has certain clothing that would make her 
prostitute. Uh, he probably knows her by reputation. Of course, he would never have anything to do with her because he was a Pharisee. He's holy and clean, but he would know who this woman was by reputation. He points right at her. Wow, Susie, come in. That's a sinner there. That's a sinner there. But more than that, there are mannerisms. Mannerisms. There's a certain type of behavior that this lady does. And I want you to see very specifically that she's touching him. And that's what he says. She's touching him. Now, if any servant girl came along and washed your feet, you wouldn't think about it. The servant's girl not going to kiss his feet. This woman is touching him. And when the Pharisee says he's touching him, the mannerisms that she uses are those, I suppose, of her business. So if this is Mary Magdalene, and she felt empty, and she searched in the wrong place, then it's very reasonable to say that she was a prostitute looking for what? Well, she's empty. She's looking for the same thing that all humans look for. People look for acceptance. People want to be accepted. Uh, people look for uh, security. And of course, overriding all of that, they look for love. People want to be accepted. And so, as someone who's guided by a wrong voice, and a matter of fact, a whole chorus of wrong voices, where are you going to look to? We're well, going to go into prostitution. And part of your mannerism is that you will touch people. There was something wrong with that. There's not, but there's a difference. You know, I mean, one of the things about church is that people love each other. That's supposed to be the mark of who we are. The difference is going here and going to the Knights of Columbus or whatever, PTA, is that when you get here, people will stop and look at me. Those people love each other. And that's why we shake hands. You know, it's just not so you can stretch for a couple minutes. Every Sunday morning we shake hands and you look around the church and they're talking and they're hugging and they're uh, shaking hands and they're doing all those things. Why? Because it's an expression of love. That's who we are. Jesus said, by your love, people will know you're my disciples. And so uh, in the Bible, of course, it says greet each other with a holy kiss. And <coughs> In those days, that was a real common thing. Some cultures, it still is. All right. So we're expected to express love. But then there's a touching that goes beyond that. All right. The mannerism of the prostitute is that she touches. And that's how she believes she'll find love, acceptance, and security by looking for those things. And so... We're going to guess, take a guess, that this is Mary Magdalene. She's had the demons cast out of her, and she's been freed from those demons, and that's a big deal. And those voices are gone, and she's talked to Jesus. Now let's go on. Verse 40. 
Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. He says, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. One owed 500 pence, the other 50. All right, so one owed about $22, the other owed $220. And when he had nothing, they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon answered, said, I suppose to he that he hath forgiven the most. And he said, thou hast judged rightly. You got it right. It's a normal concept that somebody's been forgiven a great deal, that they're going to love more. You can forgive them just a little bit. They just love a little. And he said, you're right. You got it right. Now he's going to fix him. 44. He turned to the woman and said to Simon, so, see her down my feet? Now look, listen. She saw this woman. I entered to thy house that gave me no water for my feet. He didn't wash feet, which was a normal thing they should have done. But she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But since this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven her, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Or in other words, Simon, you don't really care about me. You, know, you just wanted me here. You thought of some duty that you had. But this woman has filled in every blank, all the things that you failed to do, she has done way beyond, way beyond what you ever dreamed of. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven thee. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. And then chapter 8, verse 2, and Mary Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. So I think that this passage is a story of Mary Magdalene. She's mentioned right away. The only one by name of the women that's mentioned in verse 2 and uh, uh, mentioned right away. And it looks to me like it's a step of gratitude. She's been freed from these demons and her mind is reeling and it's this Jesus and I got to get to him. And he's going in there to eat. I'm going. I'm going in there. I'm going to thank him, and I want him to know how grateful I am, how much I love him, how much now I feel secure, how much I feel accepted. And so I am going to do the only thing I know how to do. I'm going to touch him and kiss him and hang on to him and wipe his feet with my hair. I'd do anything to tell him how much I love him. And I think that, that that she knew how to do as part of her mannerism was accepted by Jesus. Now the Pharisees going, that's the work of a prostitute. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. He doesn't think that way. He has a different opinion. So is it Mary Magdalene or not? Well, let's take another look at something, shall we? John chapter 20. Now we come to the resurrection. We set in motion some thoughts about Mary Magdalene. 
We know that she had seven demons. We know that probably in her search for something, she had searched in the wrong places, and because of it, never filled the void in her heart, so the demons came in big time, filled her up, entirely dominating her lifestyle till she becomes prostitute. And then Jesus comes along at some point, casts out the demon, and her desire to say thank you brings her in there, and we see her doing what she does, touching Jesus. Chapter 20 of John, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, while it was yet dark, to the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. She runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto him, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre. We know not where they have laid him. And so uh, the confusing part of the Gospels, four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is that there's, sounds like four different accounts. Sounds like they don't add up. Uh, here it says Mary Magdalene came. It doesn't say whether she had anybody with her or not. You go to another one, it'll say Mary Magdalene and the women came. You go to another one, it says Mary and Mary and Joanna came. And they say, well, how come they're all different? Well, I think what happened, and the best way to see it, is that nobody's got a watch. Right? So he said, well, we're going to go to Jesus' tomb uh, first thing Sunday morning when we're allowed to go. Can't go on Saturday, it's the Sabbath. So first thing Sunday, we will go to the tomb of Jesus. We will wash the body properly. Because Mary Magdalene was there when they put Jesus in the tomb. It says she was watching. Now Mary, the mother of Jesus, had left. John got her out. So she didn't see. But Mary and another lady watched where Jesus was buried. And so they get together and they say, Sunday morning we're going to go. We're going to do this right. They kind of rushed it, but we're going to take that body out. We're going to wash it perfectly. We're going to cover it with spices. We're going to do everything just a perfect burial, and we will do that Sunday morning. And so we'll get up early and get there at the crack of dawn. Well, you know how dawn is. When, when is it? Time is it? You look on TV, it tells you it's dawn at 7.17. I don't think you can tell that. <laughs> without your clock. They don't have clocks. And so they come from different parts of Jerusalem. They don't all stay together. One's in this house, one's in that house. Remember, I think the sun's coming up soon. Let's go. And off they go. And so they arrive different times. Okay, maybe a few minutes different. There's another one, a couple ladies here came there a few minutes later. All right, Mary uh, comes with a group, I think there was a couple ladies with her, and an empty tomb, run and tell Peter and John. All right? They run out, examine it, no, no uh, body. Says John thinks, oh, I think that might be real. Peter said, that's nah, not. And so verse 10, the disciples went away again to their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. Verse 11. And so somehow she got back there. 
She had gone into Jerusalem to tell Peter and John what happened. They said, ah, she's a woman. It's literally their attitude. She's a woman and we can't really count on anything. She says, so we'll go check it ourselves. And they doubt, go back. Now she's heading back there. She can't keep up with them because they ran. Now she's by herself now back at the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. See two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus has lain. There's angels all over the place. And don't think there's only two. There's probably a million. They're all over the place here. They see seen different ones, different people. A lot of angels are really interested in what happened. 13, and they say to her, woman, why weepest thou? She said, because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned herself back, saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. So people say, well, he changed his appearance. I don't think so. When you're crying your eyes out, and in extreme distress, and you just turn around and see somebody standing there, you don't think it's the person you're looking for. Uh, she thinks he's the gardener. And somebody took the body, and maybe it's the gardener. <laughs> so, 15, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if you have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, he said her name, she turned herself, said unto him, Rabboni, or Master, which is to say Master Teacher, would be a name that she called him. So this is the first sight. Nobody's seen him yet until Mary Magdalene, weeping outside the tomb, gets the first chance to see Jesus. I want to know why. I want to know why. Because he already explained it. He that was forgiven much loves much. And there is no one in that whole group of disciples, and even in the group of ladies, who is so moved by the loss of Jesus and her. Why? Because the very thing that she's been searching for, acceptance and security and love, to fill up that empty house, was dead. What she needed, this is what I need, and is dead. And she's so sad, her heart is just broken. She cries and cries and cries. Watch this, 17. Jesus saith unto her, touch me not. Touch me not. Everybody wonders, well, why did Jesus say, touch me not? Well, let's see what he says. For I'm not ascended, yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren. Say to them, I ascend to my Father, and to your Father, to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples she had seen the Lord, and that she had spoken these things unto her. And we know that they didn't believe her. All right. She came back and said that. But he says, touch me not. And people have always wondered why Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, don't touch me. Because her sense of security and acceptance had tied itself together with her old mannerisms. And it was touch, touch, 
what she did, the way she lived. Right? She was kissing his feet, and Jesus said, she won't stop. He's kissing my feet. And so that special touch that Mary had as a part of her life, and he says to her, now, no. No. I know why you touched me before, because you were so desperate for love, and it was your way to express, and I accepted it completely. But now I have a new way for you. And in order for you to have security and acceptance and love, you don't need to touch me. I'm going to disappear. All right? I'm going to go. And you can still have everything you had before. You don't need to touch me to get it. You can just have it free now. You can just take it all you want. And so I think that what the Pharisee said, she's touching him, was part of her old way. And that when Jesus appears to her in the resurrection, in the resurrected form, he says, now we're not going to do that. You're going to learn to trust me and believe in me. Because I think if he said, go ahead, she'd still be there today. I'm never going to let you ever go again. I will never lose my security again. I will never lose my acceptance again. I'm hanging on. <laughs> I'm hanging on. And Jesus so responded to her love. She stands as the most loving of every person that there was. And so he appeared to her in that way. He came first to her. Why? Because he's touched in his heart by people who love. And I think that maybe in heaven she's up there kissing his feet still. I think she still loves him more than most people. So, our passion for Jesus lags often. It often lags. We don't love like she did. We don't love like she did. We have to learn that as part of who we're going to be, that we're going to go up there, be with him. And I want to say to her, my turn. Move over. You can kiss his feet till I get there, and then I want you to move over and let me. Because we want to express, and to express. And it's that expression of love that she gave that day that stirred him now as she's weeping, can't even recognize him. Can't even recognize him. And finally, uh, she, he uses her name and that's what she wanted. I want my name connected with Jesus. My name. And he said her name in such a way. Uh, he said before he called her woman. See? Now he calls her Mary. That's it. My name on Jesus' lips. And so the resurrection. What's at the heart of it? You say, all that power? He says, I'm going up to my father. I'm going up to heaven. It's just amazing power, but I'll stop for this. I'll make sure I stop first with Mary Magdalene because nobody loves me like she does. Emptiness had been finally filled 
and she had thought she had lost it and couldn't stand it. She was going to do all that she could do, wash a dead body. All right. I take a lot of love right there, huh? Take a body that's been crucified and wash it. That's quite a task to take. She's going to do it. She's going to wash that body, and she says, if you've moved him, tell me, and I'll go get him. I'll get him. I'll drag that body back where it belongs, wherever you took him. And then suddenly the realization, he's alive, I'm safe. And the first thought was, I'm, I'm not going to let you go. I'm coming. Grab him. No, 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 no. It's going to be different. Now, because it's going to be more real than it was before. Because when you only knew just a little, I let you touch me and it helped you. Now, I want you to think my way. I'm with you. I'm your God, your Father. Think of me. I'll never leave you again. And so, there was, all right? I think it's just a... It's a it's a reasonable assumption to make that the touching woman in the Pharisee's house is the same woman here who wants to touch more than anything else. And the reality of her passionate heart is what appealed to Jesus. There's so many things he could have done. Huh? You see, I always think I'd, I'd go on pilot and say, hey, remember me? <laughs> That's what I would do first. Of course, that's why I'm not Jesus, see? Because I'd like to poke old pilots. Hey, remember me? Caiaphas would love to walk right in there and say, Hey, buddy, what do you say about that? That's what I'd like to think. Not Jesus. What does he respond to? Whoever loved the most. And whoever was hurting the most. Mary Magdalene being on the top of that list. Next sighting is the other women. All right. He meets some of them in the road. As they're traveling in the road, he's married first. He catches up with some of the other ones because he can appear and move at any time he wants. All right. And then he goes to Peter. And then he goes to the two on the road to Emmaus. Goes to them. And then he comes back and appears in the upper room. And he's been a busy, busy fella. Traveling around seeing who gets first, and Mary got first. Very special story. Mary Magdalene and how it came to be. Thank you.